You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I'm your host, Phantom Troublemaker, and I'm glad you found us. Whether it was on iTunes, Stitcher, or the ESO Network, which we are a proud part of, and you can find them at esopodcast.com, I'm glad you're here, because it's time to get back to business I have put off today's episode for a long time, not for any particular reason other than I had the last four episodes, I think, have had kind of a a time need on them. They needed to get out by a certain event, or they were proximal to a thing that was happening, or whatever the case may be, but I actually recorded this one back in February with the intent of getting it up the following week, and then one thing happened, and another thing happened. And now it's a month and a half later, and it's finally time, lucky for you guys, because today I'm talking to an old pal of mine, somebody who I have a lot of respect for in the world of music, and that is Noah Holt from the band Kill Baby Kill, uh, as well as many other bands throughout the years, but his current project is Kill Baby Kill, and they're fantastic, and you're going to get to hear a little bit of them in just a minute here, but first, got to get some stuff out there. Uh, I learned not to be too critical of certain things here because maybe I can hurt people's feelings and not really realize it and have a little bit of fun and and not know the after effects. So I'm going to try and be a little nicer, which I've been doing over the past several years. If you go back and look at some of the MySpace era entries on Needless Things, I said some I was not politically correct. I said some stuff that that definitely wouldn't fly in today's hypersensitive environment. But as much as I hate the way things are now and how everybody is just sitting around looking for something to be offended by, there are things, you know, we do need to maybe be a little nicer. We do need to be more conscious of, of what we're saying and and how it might affect people. But at the same time, as people, we need to be conscious of just having fun and not being big whiny babies and taking everything so personally, unless, of course, it actually is personal, which is the case in something that happened recently. And I'm going to try and be better. But I I don't want to be too kind and gentle because then that gets boring. So I feel like I need to come up with something to be a jerk about. And today, that topic, you know, you guys probably heard enough of wrestling in the last episode, but I'm going to dip back into that. I'm really tired of these 
idiots that WWE keeps having on their programming that have more tattoos than they have talent that I, I don't want to call them musicians because they're not. They're people that hold a microphone and say things with widely varying degrees of talent along with musical beats. At WrestleMania, you had Travis Barker, who is a tremendous drummer. I like Travis Barker. Not a fan of Blink-182 so much, but Travis Barker's a good drummer. There's no disputing that. And he comes out on the stage and does his drumming thing, and then some girl comes out. And I guess her voice is okay, but it's just dull. It's not interesting. There's nothing inspiring or passionate about it. And then some idiot comes out with tattoos from his eyebrows to his toenails. And it's not rap or hip-hop. It's just talking. And I don't know who the musical coordinator is for WWE, but they're awful. And if somehow that person numbers among the tens and tens of the Needless Things podcast's listeners then I'm sorry, man, but you have horrible taste in music. Well, I'm not sorry. It's a fact. You do. Uh, and stop inflicting it upon the wrestling nation, the WWE universe, whatever you want to call us. It's awful. So there. That's what I'm going to not be nice about today. But I also have some things to be nice about. And one of those things is iZombie, which is a fantastic show I am a big fan. Well, yeah, you know I'm a big fan of comic books. I really like Mike Allred, and I checked out iZombie, uh, which I, I it's escaping me now who wrote it. I want to say it was James Robinson. But I checked out the comic initially years ago when it first came out. I got a couple issues in, and it was really good, but just not enough up my alley for me to keep going with it. I for years have been making an effort to not start new habits if it wasn't something that really got me or isn't a character that I really love I try not to get into it uh, which yeah that does keep me from trying new things a lot of times but man there's only so much money to go around so iZombie seemed very cool but it just I, I didn't stick with it the television show, on the other hand, which is from the creator of Veronica Mars, or at least adapted from the comic by the creator of Veronica Mars, is absolutely fantastic. Uh, the first episode was a little bit rocky uh, as far as the pacing and the narrative, but once it got past the opening 15-20 minutes, it was great, and everything since then has been golden. The, I think they need to be careful with the procedural stuff, because at this point... We have seen enough track em down cop shows. And the latest episode of I Zombie had a great hook. She ends up unknowingly eating the brain. If you don't know the premise of the show, this girl's a zombie. And it's a, it's a really fresh new take on zombies because she has to eat brains or she starts to regress into being a mindless zombie. She is... As long as she has brains in her diet, she's a totally functional human being. She's fine. Uh, she's pale. She looks kind of albino-esque, but she's okay. But if she doesn't have brains, then she starts to lose her, her memories and her humanity and turn into a, a traditional zombie. So it's a really cool hook. And the last episode, she inadvertently or unknowingly eats the brains of a hitman. 
and it was really good. And she takes on the attributes and the memories of the people whose brains she eats. Again, great hook. Like, there's some really, really clever stuff here that's all sourced from the comic. But the way it's handled by the showrunner, it really works on television. They've got a great cast. They've got great storytelling. Uh, and like I said, they just need to be careful with the procedural stuff. You, I, I don't want it to turn into uh, a standard mystery of the week or, or uh, perpetrator of the week type hunt them down thing that just happens to have the zombie hook. I, I don't want them to fall into that trap because this week's episode, it, it sort of tread on very familiar ground in some ways, and it kind of lost me with the procedural stuff. But anyway, I highly recommend this show. Check it out. Give it a chance. I don't know if people are watching it or not, but I love it. It's right up there with, with our favorite shows now, uh, which our Flash is one of the best things on television. Uh, and then you've got Archer and Arrow and... Uh, of course, WWE has come back into my awareness big time lately, and I'm still super enthusiastic about it. WrestleMania was fantastic. The biggest WrestleMania probably in a decade, possibly longer, and very happy with Raw the following night. The main event was dull, but that's because you put dull people in a main event, and you've got a dull main event. But really enthused with WWE, and actually right now I am 41 minutes from SmackDown starting, and I'm tonight going to do something I haven't done in I don't know how long, and I'm going to sit down and watch SmackDown as it's on. I mean, granted, I'm going to let my time shift go, so I don't have to watch commercials, but I'm watching SmackDown. So that's enough about my TV habits. I think it's time to listen to some music. Do you guys want to hear some music? Of course you do, because today our guest is a man of the musical variety, and he's got a lot of wisdom and a lot of skill and a lot of knowledge, and also a lot of music, some of which you're going to hear in just a minute, because our very special musical selection for this episode is from Kill Baby Kill's EP, Sometimes They Come Back. It is a track called Love Theme for a Twisted Mind. And it's the opening track from the album. I feel like it's a really good way to kick off the interview. And since this is from Mr. Noah Holt and his band, Kill Baby Kill, I'm going to play it in its entirety. You don't get just a selection. You get the whole deal today because I want you to hear it. I want you to go to killbabykill.com and buy music from these guys because they're awesome. Uh, great, great driving music, soundtrack quality stuff. You put it in and it gives you that feeling, man. It's driving surf rock. You know what? I'm not going to describe the music for you. I'm going to play it right now. Love theme for a twisted mind. From Sometimes They Come Back.
painter called Sight, who lived here, closeted in his room, had found a key. What key? The seven gateways to hell. rock and roll let's actually start this thing off okay let's, let's is let's this better going. now that i have headphones yeah on? yeah this is the past okay. few minutes have been fantastic it sounds great now excellent excellent um okay. I, what i'll usually do when i'm talking to somebody that i i actually know in some capacity okay. is i'll start with uh remembering the first time we crossed paths or, or that we met or whatever okay uh, now i knew jeff back in high, high school. school right yes and he was i was in a band with jeff and we weren't super good uh jeff obviously was good but i didn't find out until i met you guys that jeff had been kind of dumbing it down for us because and i know you won't i know you won't take this but i'm gonna give it to you uh you know, as, as my band, as the Irresponsibles, we were, everybody, uh-huh. most of us were learning. Most of us were figuring out what to do. I would never refer to myself as a singer. I was a vocalist at best. Isn't, isn't uh, that how it's supposed to be at that age? Yeah, yeah. And You're that's the thing. Just, is it's a freaking training ground, man. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's, I'm a little easier on myself now than I, than I was then, I think. But, uh, you know, we, we were not great. And... We went to Auburn one weekend and to see Jeff's other band, uh-huh. uh, which was you guys, which was stuck at zero. Uh-huh. And I, you know, I didn't, I had mostly seen, like I'd seen the pig dogs and I, you know, I didn't enjoy the, yeah. the pig dogs and what they do. And I'd seen a lot of bands, uh, you know, at our level and maybe a little above our level. But then we went and saw you guys, and this was in a house in Auburn. I mean, you guys were playing in a living uh-huh. room that was barely big enough for you guys and maybe six other people. That sums up everything we've ever we ever did for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was absolutely blown away. I was like, "Oh, oh, there are people my age that make that kind of music." I didn't know that, and I had no idea that Jeff, I mean, I knew he'd been playing for a while, and I knew he was in another band, but I'd never seen him really play, and you guys just absolutely blew me away. I mean, it was incredible. You you guys were a great punk band, and it was the, um, I also got to see the Grumpies 
Uh, okay, I know exactly what show you're, was, that was our first seven inch record release show, if yes. I'm not mistaken. Yes, which I still yeah. have that seven inch and I've still got the flyer from that show. That's right. You sent me that flyer a few years ago. Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, the Grumpies and Nowhere Squares and um, the Frantics from up in that's South right. Carolina. That's right. Something, I believe that was it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's so exactly funny. Right. That was so long ago, but just ridiculously unimportant details like that are still clouding valuable space in my ever diminishing brain. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, oh, yeah. So we, we went and saw you guys, and I was like, oh, wow, so Jeff can play, and these guys can play, and that's awesome. And then we ended up uh, playing a show with you guys in Augusta, mm-hmm. which is with still... With lamps. Yes, the, that's right. Inc- the Capri Theater. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I had forgotten the name of the place, but you, you, the heat lamps were unbelievable, these red lights, and being... <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what I was thinking, but I I completely pulled a line from the No Effects Live album that had come out around that time. And as I said it, I was like, "Don't say that." Everybody here's heard that album. Why are you saying that? And I was, and I said, "I feel like a fucking French fry up here." And my brain was like, "What are you doing? Why are you stealing?" lines from a live punk album at a punk show that's the worst thing you could possibly do but we we got through it but you this is my uh you know we hung out in auburn or whatever but you really went out of your way to try and help me out um you gave me really good advice that i totally ignored uh you told (laughs) me none of that i remember but (laughs) you told me uh don't smoke the day of a show and don't which i never followed well but you but you were very uh not you know not only did you have good advice you told me not to smoke the day of a show and to not drink anything but hot tea and Mm -hmm. uh it was very good advice but the what was most impressive about it was the way you presented it because i didn't feel like you were talking down to me at all and that's a difficult thing to be able to do it's hard to dispense unsolicited advice. Like that's a skill, man. Man, I'm going to tell you something. Evidently, went off the rails with that because <laughs> if, if if you ask any of the younger musicians in this area, the one thing I'm known for is unsolicited, condescending advice. <laughs> Well, but perhaps, maybe perhaps it's just old age where, you know, I just don't care what anyone thinks about me at this age. But, you know, I'm constantly giving. No, no, I'm, I'm joking. I, I'm still, you know, I haven't had great success. I've had moderate success, relatively speaking. But, you know, I also love the idea of mentorship and hopefully passing a little something down that will help someone younger avoid one lesson the hard way. Yeah. You know, because if you're not having to learn those petty little lessons, you'll probably be a bit more productive on, you know, the songwriting end and the performance end, you know, and I had a lot of really bad bands before stuck at zero. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) I learned a lot of lessons, the absolute hardest way possible, you know, but never gave up. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, how um, going back to that? Well, what was your? Uh, this is this is a question I try to work in when I can, and I don't always remember to do it. But if if uh, the, a big part of the site, you know, <coughs> I, I interview people, I, I recap concerts and conventions and blah blah blah, everything else. But how the site got started and how, and really the meat of the site is still toys. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's the big remnant of, of my childhood. I still collect toys and like, it's, it's a big, huge part of the site. What, uh, what'd you play with when you were a kid? What was your favorite toy? Pretty much. Um, your website is a, you know, window into my childhood, which I, <laughs> you know, that, that's easy to say. It's pretty easy to pin down kids of the eighties. That's just, yeah. That's, yeah. But no, you know, I always wanted a lot of Star Wars toys, but I kind of missed the boat on that. Just financially, I just don't think my parents had the money. Yeah. But um, I do remember the year that the first Masters of the Universe stuff came out, and um, my cousin had gotten a handful of them, and I was just enamored by them. And that Christmas, Santa brought me literally every single piece that had been released. Oh, um, wow. Every figure, every vehicle, Castle Grayskull. um you know, those are all still tucked away at my parents' house, most likely in not the best shape because, you know, I was an 80s kid. We didn't take care of those No, things. no. We brought them out to the sandbox. We took them out in the yard. We stuck them oh, up yeah. on the brick walls. Yeah, they were toys. But, you know, Masters of the Universe lasted years. And, um, and Legos were also the very big toy. Um that was probably the wisest investment my parents ever made was in, you know, one of just the old original gigantic sets of Legos that yeah. weren't designed for anything specific. You know, it was just, here's 3000 pieces, have a ball. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and my mother looked at me a few years ago because here I am, you know, 15 years into engineering and I never put the pieces together. And my mom was like, you know, we should have known this is where you should have been directed <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, it makes sense now, <laughs> but I wouldn't have guessed it either. So, but yeah, now it's Star Wars, Master of the Universe, and Legos. That's, that was my childhood until I discovered skateboarding and freestyle biking, and then all of that was over. So Now, is, <laughs> did that stuff lead into music? Like Because that, that's usually all connected. That, that stuff all hits around the same time, usually like yeah. right before or at high school. Uh, well... I was that early bloomer. We're talking 10 years old, like 1985. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, two things happened. Um, A guy moved from the West Coast to my school um, who was also a member of the marching band, and it was such a small town that our marching, like high school band and elementary band were kind of combined during classes, so you interacted with people years older than you. Although I think he was only three years older. He was in the same class with my sister. But back then, but, three years is an eternity. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, he, he might as well have been, you know, 50 years old. To right, me, but, right. But I remember he introduced me to the dead Kennedys. And that was really the beginning of the end. <laughs> but I was also getting into skateboarding at the time. Um, probably that same cousin that did Master of the Universe um, that had those originally. He was into skateboarding, and I looked up to him, so I got into it. And with skateboarding in the 80s, and you can ask anyone this in my age group, Thrasher Magazine was probably the 
real window into the world of like, I guess, you know, indie music, you know? Yeah. I think for most of, especially small town people like myself, that was the real introduction to figuring out there was something bigger going on because at the time, especially dealing with, you know, punk rock, the only exposure, if you lived in a small town in Alabama, you had to punk rock was the ABC Friday night cop show would have some guy with a mohawk and a leather jacket that was, you know, the criminal of the week on the show. You know, it it wasn't a positive image during the time in any way. And and even that guy probably, like, if they did make a direct reference to music, it probably wasn't even, like, punk. It was probably, like, Exodus and stuff. Oh, oh God, no, 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 you're right, you're right. (laughs) You know, but... um. But that, that was the world. So, but you know, there's also something inherent about being 10 years old, maybe 12 for, you know, kids in a normal situation where something like that being shown to you for years is something very bad. Yeah. And you're starting to enter that phase in life where you're wanting to break free and kind of start developing your own path. It's quite attractive. <laughs> Because, you know, you kind of feel like you're getting something over on your parents, even though you're really not. <laughs> no, you're not, you're not getting anything over on your parents. No, I, no not at all. <laughs> one of, one of the smartest and creepiest thing, not creepiest, but like most haunting things anybody ever said to me, uh, my, my, I worked at Blimpy for a time mm-hmm. and one of the managers there, uh, the, the first guy that I ever smoked weed with, as a matter of fact, uh, which is a habit long, long in the past, but <laughs> at the time in the kitchen at Blimpy, it seemed appropriate, but, uh, okay. he told me really a punk rock guy that works in the food service that smokes <laughs> pot. I've right. never heard of that one yeah. before. <laughs> no way. But he told me, he said, man. Your parents know a whole lot more than you think they know. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, oh, like shivers went down my spine. And and looking well, back, ugh, yeah. Man, if you remember me from when we were young, you'll also remember that I have always been kind of a goody-goody. <laughs> you know, I was never a heavy drinker. I've never done an illegal drug in my life. I just wasn't that rebellious, if you will. And it's funny you mention that about parents knowing more than we think they know. Mm-hmm. Through conversations with my mother and father, I think I am the antithesis of that. My parents assumed a lot more than was actually a reality. <laughs> <laughs> That's you know, funny. They never, because of their assumptions of, you know, that I was out on my weekends traveling with a punk rock band and, you know, had piercings and, you know, the odd colored hair years before it was, you know, a socially acceptable trend. They just kind of assumed. (laughs) And I was like, no, no, I, I was, I've always been at that age, especially too scared to go too far because of the consequences. And I, you know, I think a lot of that just comes back to, a, a stern father, but B, you know, I didn't grow up extremely poor, but, you know, pretty much old enough to drive. I was saddled with some kind of car payment, insurance payment, and right, things like that. So, 
I always, from the time I was able to go out on my own, had way too much on the line to screw up too much. <laughs> well, and mm. you, I think you more so, more so maybe even than than uh, James and the the pig dogs, who I who I look at as a, a big influence as far as a work ethic within no music, doubt. no doubt. Uh, well, not, not just within music, within everything now. I mean, the guy's made two movies now uh, and, and short films. I See, mean, I did not, I did not know that. Yeah. That is fantastic. Yeah. Mm. He's, he's got actually had him on last year. Uh, he did a short zombie film called the black earth. And then he made a full length feature with some of the wrestler guys that we know called the Gorda. It's a Western and it's hilarious, but yeah, James is making movies now. <laughs> Dude, dude, no, that's that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And I, you know, just to get a bit candid here, you know, I I have great memories of that time period. A lot of bad ones because you know we all met at the same time we we're all growing up, and with that comes a lot of bullshit. You know, yeah, yeah. learning to deal with relationships and everything. And some of us are worse at it, being one of them and others. But dude, so many good memories during the time. But you know, you mentioned coming up earlier to catch that stuck at zero show mm -hmm. now my memory serves that we actually met you before then oh really <laughs> you know but yeah because i remember after we formed jeff would go home on the summers to work at schlotsky's oh did and you got we, were you guys at one of the schlotsky's practices we no no but we would come and we would spend weekends in atlanta while jeff was working we'd practice and then we would go up to um Lead belly sound and record during the summer. So I met, I swear I met you guys earlier than that. But nonetheless, not just you, but pretty much everyone from that Norcross area that Jeff introduced us to, we just immediately connected with. You know, it was, yeah. And I believe Sam, God rest his soul, would say the same thing. It was like, you know, these were the people that we wish we had grown up with. You know, we were all pretty much freshmen in college and those sorts of things. And, you know, um, it was just kind of like the long lost friends we never had. So, you know, we always loved the time when y'all would come to Auburn or, oh, excuse me, I'm outside smoking and freezing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine. I couldn't believe it when I left work today, just how cold it was outside here. Um. Yeah, I, but, you guys, you guys totally clicked in, and it was interesting because that you know that doesn't happen, especially with that age. You know, just out of high school, you're still kind of clickish. Um, you know, you're probably broadening your horizons a little bit, but but you very much have your tribe. And well, it's, it's true. Well, well, think about this. Okay, I grew up in a small town called Beulah, Alabama. I literally graduated high school with 22 kids. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that can, that gives you an idea of how limited the peer population was. Yeah. And you factor it in. It's a small town in Alabama that's fairly removed from everything. You know, my interests were, I mean, just like your own, we were all a few years ahead of the big alternative boom, you know, where everything we loved became, you know, mainstream acceptable yeah and then you multiply that by putting it in the middle of a very small isolated town and you know literally you guys my band members these were the people that i had sat since i was 10 or 12 years old wishing were around and they weren't 
and it made it all the better. I mean, all of us drank and those sorts of things, but to tell you the truth, all of you guys were pretty straight laced guys, relatively speaking. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah. You know, we didn't have we didn't have a lot of real wild uh oh. like I don't have any crazy stories and there was a time <laughs> where I kinda regretted that, but now I'm kinda glad like I don't have those running from the cops or the friend who tripped so bad he had to go to the hospital or the like I, I don't have any of that and I've you know I've seen some hairy stuff since then but mm-hmm. in those years you know aside from like you said you know be, being mm-hmm. a, a teen and and mm-hmm. later relationships are tough and, and we're learning how to deal with people and and not be selfish basically and it's Mm -hmm. it's it's a rough time relationship wise but like aside from that aside from just interpersonal stuff like we didn't have a whole lot of wild drama no i mean some of the most wild nights i remember regarding the time in that band were literally sitting in sam and kelly's living room watching tv playing nintendo 64 and having drinks yeah you know I mean, it's just, and yeah, to tell tell our kids those stories years from now, they're probably going to be bored silly. It was some <laughs> of the best times of my life. Yeah, it man. really was. But but by anyone's standards today, we were very dull people regarding, yeah. regarding just letting loose and enjoying life at that time. So, you know, and you know, as I said, even how I approached being in bands and stuff was usually quite contrary to most people at my age. You know. There was no delusions of wild times or rock star antics. It was just, God, I just really want to freaking play guitar and sing in a punk band, you know? And that was my dream from, you know, 10 years old. And that was it. And <laughs> none, none of the other junk that I think most kids dream about was even in my head during that time. So, Well, and that, that was apparent. I mean, you were, uh, you know, you were a fun guy to hang out with, but it was clear that you took the music very seriously um, how, what what did the how did the first band come about? Stuck at zero. Or? Well, just just whoever. What's the first time you got people together and and played? Ah, uh, I actually my first band ever was me and three guys that were in marching band together. I think I was fifteen at the time. I'd been playing guitar maybe a year, and um. And it was this, these guys put it together. I was just, you know, a tag along, um, rhythm guitar player, if you will. But, um, they were called wise devotion. (laughs) And the only show that the band ever played was an intermission at a high school beauty pageant. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Where I believe we did every rose has its thorn knocking on heaven's door. Um, and I actually think the band had two originals too. So, and oh, oh, it was terrible, terrible stuff. I mean, <laughs> I, I say that, but frankly, I was in worse bands after that. I mean, it was just content-wise, it was what I would consider terrible music. Right, right. For a bunch of fourteen, fifteen-year-old guys, I would say it was actually fairly competent. But um, 
you know, in no way representative of things to come in the very near future. <laughs> well, you gotta, so. you know, I'm sure you, you, you find your way, you figure out what you want to do. You figure out how to work with other people like that. I mean, that's gotta well, be, to, I would imagine, cause I know even, even as, as sort of lackadaisical as we were, that was one of the biggest issues was working on one thing with that many people, that many voices like that. That's, that's gotta be tough. That is the absolute most difficult general. And I often equate it to being in a relationship with two, three, four other people, you know, just like having a girlfriend, you know, without, you know, the romantic aspect, but um, the dynamic ends up being very similar. And you know, as well as I do, it's difficult enough when it's one-on-one and you throw in two or three other personalities there, <laughs> yeah. you know, that need fulfilled. And no, it can be quite difficult. I, and I've been sitting with pretty much the same lineup for um, going on five years. And I tell people all the time that if you can find two or three other guys that you can get in a van with, travel across the country with every disaster possible, very little sleep, um, shitty food, and come back, A, not hating each other, but ready to do it again, then you stick with them no matter what kind of troubles you have along the way because I mean, it's, chemistry is the number one thing, period. Yeah. You know, and I've been in some bands that wrote great music, but um, personality-wise, we just could not keep it together. So... Now, what's... You know, going back to Stuck at Zero and the band after it, you know, there were a lot of personal conflicts that outside of the band that ended up coming in. And, you know, it was just, yeah. And we didn't, I don't think we had the strength within our chemistry as, as into, you know, a group to keep it together throughout all that. So, yeah. Well, and that's, uh, that's kind of a, a an aspect of it too well it's definitely an aspect of it is that it's not just how the people within the band interact it is like you just said those outside influences too because Mm -hmm. it's not like the band moves into a house and is a family and that's it you just sit around making music all day you have you have jobs and you have girlfriends and you have outside things that 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 affect you know that get into your band world Mm mm-hmm you know, an interesting thing about what I'm doing now, and, you know, if if you haven't figured it out, I've only gotten more introspective the older I've gotten. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've actually had this conversation on some long band trips before that what is interesting about the current project and what I feel is one of the strengths that's allowed it to go on, because we aren't without our problems, you know, um, None of us are best friends. We're all friends, Mm -hmm. but we've all got very separate lives. And unlike when we were young, where we felt where personally, I'll say when I was in a band, I felt like these were supposed to be my best friends. And, you know, even if we weren't playing music, if you were going to go do something, they were supposed to be the ones that with you were with you. And it's not that way with this band. I mean, if, you know, we go out and we tour and we come home and we go our separate ways. We keep in touch, but 
the next time we see each other is when there's a band practice or a show and you know our drummer has his family and it's an hour away and you know the closest we have i guess are our key player and bass player have been friends since childhood so they see each other quite frequent but you know it's 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 a working relationship and that that sounds very you know kind of cold and clinical if you will because i mean i know deep down inside it's more than that but I don't know. I, I think there's something very important and it's another one of those hard lessons learned that I wish I would have known it, you know, 20 is that keeping a very separate life from that, I think will go a long way to prolonging that actual project. Um, Cause trust me, I mean, even though you don't hate each other at the end of, you know, a long tour, you really don't want to spend another day with each other. When right. You get back either for a little while. So, yeah, I, I believe it was a um, Brian Teasley from Manor Astroman said in an interview when they got back together um, regarding their guitarist when he left in 99 that they had gotten to the point at the end of the original run of that band where there wasn't a story they hadn't heard. Yeah. And there wasn't a word that came out of each other's mouths that didn't make them want to punch each other in the face. <laughs> and it wasn't that they hated each other. It was just they were absolutely sick of spending 300 and some odd days a year um, together. <laughs> yeah, and and I think there's also something to, uh, and and I don't like the word hobby because that that to me suggests a certain casualness. Uh, well, it's an understatement. Uh, yes, yes, it it is because I I don't think of what I do as a hobby, and I I know, you know, you as a musician, you know, that's not a hobby. It's, it's it's the easiest way to explain why I'm still doing it to those that aren't part of it. Right. Um, I, I try to tell people that um, imagine, okay, either you or depending on who I'm talking to, your husband, on the weekends he either goes away and plays golf or he goes fishing or he goes hunting. And at the end of the weekend he comes back with less than he left, less than he left the house with. I'm like, well – me playing music is exactly the same thing, except for at the end of the weekend, I either have the same amount of money or more money in my pocket. Right, right. So, so it's a self-sustaining hobby is the, I guess, most um, diplomatic way to put it without, you know, trying to defend, you know, that it's so much more to me. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. You, you know as well as I do that it is. Sorry. It's Well, <laughs> it's it's another, I mean, honestly, that's it's it's another full-time job. Uh, that just doesn't pay like your full-time job mm-hmm. and and you don't mm-hmm. think of it as a job because i i mean i i love this i love it i love it mm-hmm. every every second of it everything about it even the stuff that's frustrating i love it um and and if it, it's just a, a different thing but i think there's something to you have a passion for this thing for in your case the music and I think when you have friends involved, that's two passions too much in proximity. That's a fair statement. I yeah. think there are too many feelings at that point because that was a mm-hmm. lot of the issues that we had. You know, we were all, you know, best friends that went to high school together and discovered punk together and, and drew and whatever else. Mm-hmm. And I think those don't cross the streams. It's worked in the past with some people. 
but my personal belief, knowing my personality, is that I'm probably better off with it being a work relationship mm-hmm. um, with people that I have mutual uh, mutual respect for. You know, right, it, right. you know, I've known people that played in bands of people that they absolutely hated. I mean, shit. I mean, think of the Ramones. You know, <laughs> freaking Johnny and Joey pretty much didn't speak for a better part of 20 years. So, um, you know, um, that I can't imagine, but, um, <laughs> and, and made some of the most beautiful, incredible music ever. Y- yes. That's at so crazy least, to me. At the very least, the most influential band since the Beatles. And <laughs> yeah. Beyond a shadow and, of a doubt. Uh, anyone that knows, and his ear is in tune, realizes the influence they've had on every aspect of pop music and pop culture and everything else. I mean, it's just, it's coursing through the veins of every aspect of it. But And know. it's crazy to me when I see <laughs> retrospectives on punk that don't mm-hmm. mention them. And it happens a lot. Uh, it happens entirely too much. Entirely too much. And I mean, you know, and... Punk was a big part of your upbringing and mine, and we could probably talk for two hours, you know, in depth of how much more it is than just a party and a form of music. I mean, there's so many ethics that come with it that I know personally I've taken and applied to my entire life in some way for the better. Um, But those documentaries you mentioned, (laughs) more often than not, I think they missed the point of what attracted all of us to it. They always seem more from the perspective of, even if they're dealing with the music that predates this, it really feels more like someone that discovered it post 1994, if you will. Yeah. yeah. Um, those delusions of rock stardom and those sorts of things that I mentioned just were never in my head. I feel it. How do I say this? If you discovered punk rock through Green Day's breakout success, that's good and fine. I think Dookie was a great record. But you didn't discover punk rock through seeing the band toiling through making their own T-shirts and traveling in a crappy van and sleeping in floors. You discovered punk rock through a source that was that it reached superstardom. You never got to see that pathway up. And to me, punk rock, the essence of it was always that path up it wasn't the goal at the top it was you know god i hate to even say the diy ethic if you will but that's it that's what's it to me that's what's at the root of it is is the i don't even know if i'd call it the diy ethic that we're going to do this thing and not like not even a fuck the system. We're gonna do this thing. Just a yeah. No, no. Just, just a we're gonna do this. We're gonna make this happen. This is this is what we want to do. And it's so much more than any particular way of playing music or any particular way of dressing. Or that's why so many different like the Dead Milkmen are a freaking punk band, and uh, they don't sound bingo. like any other <laughs> punk band. No, but they sure um, are. <laughs> um, you know, my definition of what's punk is 
music wise has definitely evolved over the years too. You know, it never occurred to me growing up that Devo were a punk band right, and that right. the B-52s were a punk band yeah. and that the Go-Go's were a punk band. Those were pop bands. And, you know, at this point in life, I listen and I look and I was like, no, those are just some nerdy screwed up kids that started from nothing and created something amazing. So <laughs> without the help of anyone in the beginning and, to me, that's punk rock. And that ethos, if you will, that ethic, when I say it kind of infiltrates my daily life still, you know, be it from teaching my kids that if you want something to happen, you do it. Yeah. You don't say, I wish it would happen. You sit down and you figure out a path and you just make it happen. <laughs> you know, a realistic path, but you make it. If it's how I do it, if even towards how I approach my job, you know, it's... We discussed this earlier, and much of this has come later, but, you know, you just do your job. If there's a problem, you fix it. You, you know, yeah. sorts of things. Um, I think a lot of it's just no longer idolizing anyone. You know, it's going back to my upbringing in the small town. If you saw a musician, superstar, they weren't like you. Right. And with that came the assumption that they were never like you. You know, there was something different. There was something special that got them there and you'll never have it. And, you know, I'm trying right now to instill that punk ethos in my kids that no, they are just like you. Yeah. Their parents may have more money, so it's probably going to be a little easier for them, but <laughs> you're still capable of, if you have an idea, bringing it to fruition. So one, one thing I'm working on now with my son is never saying, I don't know. Oh, don't, don't ever tell me. I don't know. Uh, Does he have a tablet in his hand and still say that? Because, Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, and I'll tell him, you know, it's okay to say, well, give me an idea or explain it to me, or we'll sit down and figure things out, but don't ever, Mm I don't know is never the end of a conversation ever. Don't, Thank don't you. ever say that. No, no, you're, you're and, absolutely right. <laughs> and, and I think that also is a big part of punk is, is figuring it out. Um, cause yeah. that, that's a lot of that independent spirit of, of, like I said, I'm going to make this happen. I don't know how, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to figure it out. Well, the finest example I can give of that, and there are many just on the musical level within punk rock, but let's just aim our eyes and ears towards Washington, D.C. Look at what Minor Threat and the few bands that predated them were doing. Those were little kids, didn't know how to play instruments, didn't know how to write a song. Look at what Fugazi ended on. Yeah. Well, even even just the minor threat stuff, though, like oh, well, no doubt the stuff is was revolutionary, but <laughs> but yeah, when when you look at that that span and the fact that you know they again just figured it out, they forged a path, and that's wild. Children forged a path. Okay, just on that exact subject, I want to put something in your ear that occurred to me recently. Okay. Listen to the first Fugazi record, which I 
musically they grew leaps and bounds throughout their career. Mm, yeah, yeah. But that that first that first record, let's just say 13 songs, the compilation, is still beyond amazing. The musicianship on it's fantastic. The songwriting, the arrangement. Look at how many years there was between that and when they began in the era of Minor Threat. How many years was There's, that? I don't I don't know off the top of my head. At best, seven years. Oh wow, <laughs> that much progress in a seven year period. Which I know when you're young, seven years is the equivalent of fourteen. But yeah, yeah. I can't imagine. <laughs> well, it's not recognize. I mean, it's not even recognizable as the same people. Like you, no, I, I would not. if if I didn't have liner notes. If if somebody had just plunked those down in front of me, I, mm-hmm. I never would have related the two. No, in yeah, as a musician, there are so many people I admire, musicians um, that I've gained influence from over the years. But those DC guys, man, um, <laughs> to this day, I think the blood of what they created flows through everything that I write now more so than any other influence in my past. So <laughs> let's yeah, let's bring it let's bring it back to you. So we had okay, uh, sorry. We um, stuck at zero. What what is the path from stuck at zero to kill baby kill? Okay, well, and you're familiar with the follow up to stuck at zero, which um was Jeff from stuck at zero and I teamed up with y'all's old friend Keith to form the hardcore band Pedestrians. Yes, which was the light the one lightning in a bottle band I've ever been in. <laughs> It was spontaneous, if you will. Just, you know, four guys got together with a joke in mind, and it ended up being, in my opinion, phenomenal. <laughs> but 12 songs later, that was the end of it. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it just came about. Those songs wrote themselves, and we had insanely crazy shows and had a great time, and then it was over, you know. <laughs> so, and um after that, I had a short-lived band called the 451, um, which, sadly enough, there's no recordings of. But if memory serves, we actually wrote some pretty decent material. But, you know, it was just um, personalities that didn't work together. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good guys still think the world of all of them. Um, and then I left. You know, I, <laughs> I finished school. I moved away. I got a job and I tried putting music behind me, frankly. Um, Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think when I moved here to Anniston, um, in Oh three, which was probably three years after the demise of that last band, I, um, joined up for a short time with a pop punk band called, um, backseat virgins. Um, and I think I did about four shows with them. And the one day I got a call, are you ready to record this evening? And told the guy, I was like, I'm not, <laughs> you know, um, I was like, dude, I, I just, I'm bored silly, you know, playing this three chord pop punk stuff. I mean, it's run its course. I could write this stuff, you know, in my sleep. I was like, it's nothing personal against you. And frankly, you know, you write great pop punk songs, but I'm bored silly. And at that same time, I had started writing 
these instrumental surf punk tunes just kind of at home on my own, you know, on my computer and no intention of doing anything with it whatsoever. Um, but you know, I really like this stuff and I'd said for years, I would love to try doing a surf band anyway. So, um, I was kind of fulfilling that end of things, but had no intentions of taking it outside of my little bedroom office. But about two years later, um, I don't know. I got the bug again and I put a, that was Oh five. And I put a group of really young musicians together that I had met playing in other bands during that short stand in Oh three, um, with backseat virgins. And that was kill baby kill the first incarnation. <laughs> and we got four shows in and frankly, the lineup I had was beyond amazing, but they were young literally fresh out of high school. And I was a man, you know, already in my thirties at that point. Right. Um, and they had opportunities, <laughs> you know, um, one got the opportunity, you know, moved to New York city another wanted to go to tattoo school. And I was like, you know, I had no interest in being anything more in a local band at that point. So I was like, y'all go. And it was at that same time that, um, my then wife and I were expecting our daughter. So I was like, okay, time to put it behind me again. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for five years, it became a bedroom studio solo project again. And um, that marriage ended. I ended up in another relationship. Um, then another kid, and that subsequently ended. So I ended up being a single dad back here in Aniston, Um that had frankly at the time way too much free time on my hands. You know, I was the every other weekend father. Yeah. And every Wednesday at the time. Um, so, um, I said, okay, okay. I've got more songs. You know, I said, started talking with this one guy, just joking around, come over and jam. We started jamming and, um, brought in another guy and I was like, okay, it's good. We need a drummer. So we drove to Talladega, Alabama, um, to try out with this one drummer and he was fantastic. At the end of the practice, <laughs> I looked at him and said, okay, here's the deal. I'm just wanting a part-time band, play a couple of local shows a year. If you're looking for a band that's going to tour this, that, and the other, it's like you probably look elsewhere. But if you enjoy this music, I'd love to have you on. <laughs> and he looked at me a year later. He was like, Noah, you know that we've done 20,000 miles of travel and put out a record <laughs> since you said that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I was like, yeah, yeah, I kind of didn't see that coming. <laughs> wow, so. that's great. Now, at what point, because um, the first time I saw you guys was at the Claremont with the pig dogs and I think mm -hmm. the casket creatures. That and would be more, more Della, maybe? Uh, I think it was just pig dogs and casket creatures. Okay. Me, who have, and casket creatures have gone on to great things since, so. Yeah, those guys are fantastic and, and great, great friends also. I, I've, I've really gotten to know them and they're, uh, they, they do awesome stuff. I'm so happy that and I can, it's, it's oh, weird yeah. to look back and at that first time that I saw them play at, at the kids that they were. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Cliff was it Cliff? There, 
current bass player, I think. Yeah, Cliff. Yeah, yeah. Who, yeah, who, he wasn't in the band at that time. No, it was, played, I think Ryan we, and Derek are the only two that were in the band then. Yeah, we already knew him at that time, though. He had another little um, horror folk band over in Douglasville um, previous to Casket being in Casket Creatures that we had played with. Um, oh, okay, cool. But, um, but yeah, good guy. I know his sister, too. She's a sweetheart. Um, but, um, but yeah, that was the first time he saw us. And, unfortunately, it was a transitional period, too. We had lost our rhythm guitar player a few months prior. And um, we were still kind of working out being in one guitar band. And that was also our, the bass player's final show. <laughs> so um, we were we were a little rough that night, but... We, we kind of already had a, another guy in the folds for bass um, at that point. We'd had our eye on a while. and um, So things really, really came together shortly after you saw us the first time. Well, but that first time, you guys had an energy because uh, surf rock and punk don't always mix. No, and... You know as well as I do that when this all started, it was an attempt to see if I could do Manor Astro Man. Sure. I make, I make no qualms about admitting <laughs> that. You know, um, <laughs> And up until, I think, us and Daikaju came around, give or take maybe a few other bands, that was the gold standard of mixing punk and surf music together. Yeah. Um, but an interesting thing happens when a band can stick together long enough is that original idea, which almost always, I don't care what band you're in, it almost always starts out with the idea of emulating someone. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Well, not even just bands, though. Everything. Um, oh, any kind of art, anything. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, you, you have inspirations, and even if you don't admit it to yourself, there's somebody... <laughs> that's inspiring you more than anybody else and you can't help but take certain facets of what they do i i i catch myself doing it all the time whether i'm in the ring announcing or talking on a podcast or whatever there'll be little things where i'm like i sounded too much like mark Marin right there or you know just little you know yeah. we all we all do it because that's what art is mm -hmm. but when you do it long enough and I'm relating this to being in a band specifically. Mm -hmm. And this is the difficult part because the average lifespan of any band is two years. And speaking from experience and speaking to other people, the two year mark is usually when things start to really come together for a band. Mm -hmm. You start to define yourself. You start to figure out your own strengths. You start to figure out your own formulas and songwriting. And those comparisons start to drip away. <laughs> You know, you haven't seen us in a while. I promise you there will be no Manor Astro Man comparisons when you see us again, you know. Um, we've got our own thing. Um, but to be fair, when Manor Astro Man started, you know, I was an Auburn kid at the time. They were a local Auburn band. They were just trying to be shadowy men on a shadowy planet when right. they started. Right, right. So, <laughs> which, which for they, our listeners, uh, if if you're not familiar, they're the ones that did the Kids in the Hall theme song, but they also did so much more and are well worth checking out. 
Oh, they're phenomenal. And Absolutely. you know they're back together, but they only do two or three shows a year in Canada. So Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a bit of a trek for me. So Kill Baby Kill uh, has, has evolved even from – because it, it's – it's interesting that switch because you know I say that surf rock and punk don't necessarily go together at shows, uh, but I mean in a way they go hand in hand because I mean I I think well definitely one of my favorite punk bands of all time are the Queers. Fair and, enough, good friends, good yeah, friends. Yeah, Joe Queer produced you guys' first album, right, or first EP? He, he did, he did, and he and I are still in touch. Quite frequently, actually. And so. they, uh, you know, sort of gradually worked more of that Beach Boys sound mm-hmm. into the music. And, and man, it worked uh, to the point where, I mean, don't back down. As, <sighs> as much as I loved the queers prior to that, don't back down is, is one of the masterpieces of my collection. It's... Just a good pop record, man. Uh, you know, the records before that were punk rock records, and in their own right, they were really good, I guess, um, snapshots of the time with what was going on. But Don't Back Down was a – it was a pop record, period. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean that in the most positive way Oh, possible. yeah. Pop, pop is not a dirty word around here. No, not at all. Um, not in the um, – radio sense it was just good music and one thing i've loved growing up in punk rock for so long now um what 30 years now, right is you know just on a slight tangent i joke often in conversation with other musicians that you know everyone we meet no matter what music they're doing they grew up in punk rock and We've all decided that it's because it served as kind of the summer camp training ground for musicians at a young age. <laughs> and and it's a funny statement, but it's as honest of a statement as you can get. Punk has infiltrated every aspect of music, being be it from mainstream Nashville to, you know, Disney. Um, and it's because these are people that grew up in this community playing this music, and it's how they first started to hone their craft and but the point of all that was i've loved watching musicians and songwriters grow and yeah there are going to be bands like no effects and all from our time period that honest to god never grew an ounce as musicians you know but i'm okay Uh, with that oh i'm glad you are man i outgrew (laughs) it so long ago oh i still love no effects i i finally i finally they're one of those bands you know how you've got a few bands that every time they come to town, you're working or something's going on, and it just you just don't get to see them for some reason? That was <sighs> no effects for me for years, and I finally got to see them a couple of years ago, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I still, I still, I still love those guys. Well, like I said, I, I grew out of a lot. Uh, I've talked to my um, bass player numerous times about my vinyl and CD collection and how I've realized just as it relates to me, how little of the music that I used to love has held up over the course of time, at least regarding the punk rock. There's a lot of the eighties college rock stuff that 
I probably think it's better now than I even did as a kid. But sure, the punk sure. rock stuff, it's very select few of those bands have really stuck with me. Um, I wouldn't even say the queers have stuck with me. That album has stuck with me because right. it really was such an accomplishment. Um, not just in the context of what Joe was doing, but just the genre as a whole. Um, and you know, in the nineties, there were times where artists such as the beach boys and Johnny cash and all who were really out of fashion became very in fashion. Yeah. <laughs> and it was because people like Joe or Mike Ness chose to bug the trends and say, screw you. I absolutely love this music. And they brought in, influences from bands that otherwise these punk kids would have never in a million years delved into on their own. So, um, and there's a lot of good to be said for that. <laughs> well, and, and again, it's that thing of, of art sort of inspiring and perpetuating itself. Yeah. Now the pop punk thing's interesting to me because I've long felt the box was much, um, was a much tighter fit regarding the boundaries of that genre. And it's why so few ever, you know, progress very far past what we consider their best writing. Um, yeah. And then we talk about bands like Fugazi that never had a box to begin with. So from album to album, they could literally just do whatever they wanted because no one came in with an ounce of expectation. Um, but people like, you know, the album Don't Back Down, managed to do that within those close confines. And um, also, um, dude, I got to say this, Screeching Weasel's last record, I don't care about any of the controversy that surrounds Ben. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's outside of the music to me. Yeah, that the last record, and that's not to say lyrically, um, for the most part, he was always quite a step above you know, his peers anyway mm -hmm. during the heyday. But the last record was just phenomenal end to end. The arrangements were interesting and very different lyrically. It, it was still snide, but it was smart snide. Um, and it was just so well put together and going in, I had no expectations that some, you know, 10, 15 years after, you know, their, you know, dying breath, if you will. Yeah. He would put something out that would rival the best material they did in their heyday, but he managed to do it. And, um, you know, that's always interesting to me too. But anyway, let's talk about my band because I'm here to promote us. Yes. What is, <laughs> what is going on with kill baby kill? What are you, what are you guys, first of all, what's your most recent release? And so, so we don't forget, we'll, we'll plug at the end of the show too. But where can we find you online? Okay. We put out our last full-length album was in 2013. It was called Corridor X that we did for Deep Eddie Records out of Austin. Um, pretty proud of it. Pretty proud of it. Um, but, um, you know, we hear potential for much more. Or we probably wouldn't keep going. Sure. And last year we managed a couple of compilations. Um one of which was called Monsters of Surf, which even if you're not a fan of the genre, um, it's a compilation you should pick up. We were beyond humbled to even be a part of it because it's 
the absolute edgiest, best surf bands from all corners of the world. Um, guys from Daikaju put it together. And um, to have been included on the talent on that record, especially knowing the great bands that we do that were not asked to be a part of it. Um, just, yeah, like I said, it was humbling, to say the least. Um, and then we put out a short EP last year called Human Sounds Volume 1. Um, we had hoped to actually put out three of those last year, but sometimes our plans get um, a bit more grandiose than we're capable of pulling off with our schedule. I know <laughs> all about that. <laughs> so, but, you know, we also kind of, at least personally, I hit a brick wall last year. I've I had writer's block. Um, the band at this point has done about 80,000 miles of touring. Um, and really started that feeling of we're going through the motions. We're not doing anything new. Um, and then I kind of sat down through the Christmas holidays and I was like, you know what? I don't want to end this, but where is this pressure coming from? You know? Yeah. Yeah. There's no one sitting out there saying, where's the new record? Where's the new record? I mean, some, there are people that are looking forward to it. We've sold decently, but no one is nudging us. I was like, why are we still playing, you know, 40 or 50 shows a year in between our day jobs and things? Why don't we slow down? Why don't we stop making plans and just start writing and trying to reinvent again? Mm -hmm. And we are just at the beginning of that, you know, um, we started on a new song the other day that I actually think is quite good, and I'm hoping it's the end of the writer's block, at least the beginning of it. But our goal is, by the end of this year, to come back with a predominantly new set, um, new visuals, and just kind of a renewed sense, if you will, um, you know, to get us excited. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we could have easily spent the next five years when we're touring, hitting new markets, playing the same set of songs, and no one would have been any of the wiser. Those people don't know our music, you know, those sorts of things. But when it's just okay, get in the van, get there, get on stage, do the same thing, get off stage, sleep on the floor, get up, go to the next place, it's just getting old, and there was there was nothing thrilling, at least me personally, anymore. Um, but knowing that there is still musically, we haven't reached our potential yet, in my opinion. So I just knew I had to step back and, and stop forcing, you know, the pace that we were working at because we weren't gaining any new momentum or anything. We were literally going through the motions. Well, and you know? I think, I think that's kind of a magical place to be though. When you step back and you think, wait a minute, I'm doing this for me. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I I want to entertain myself. I want to grow myself. I'm not worried about, you know, necessarily, you know, selling T-shirts or having to pay the bills or grinding it out on the road. <laughs> I'm doing it because I love doing it. I think that's where some of the best stuff comes from. Well, yeah, I mean... I'm going to make a very fair statement here. If anyone that does what I do says that, no, they're in it for the art, and that's why they do what they do, they are lying to you, 
They may be lying to themselves, <laughs> but they're lying to you for sure. Because, because there is an inherent need for attention and or approval that draws people to do what we do. Otherwise, the artistic aspect we could have fulfilled by sitting in our living room creating on a computer. Oh, sure. But I think when there's more of a balance between, like, you're not necessarily trying to please people. You're, I, no. I, you're, you you want to grow yourself. You want to you expand what you do. You want to be a better musician. And, and mm. those are, your goal is not to go and, you know, play in Japan or, or whatever. No, no. If, if that was possible, we would love to do it. And sure. Me, we get, we get offers all the time to go overseas, but you know, the money's usually not there to, um, invest to get over right. Right. <laughs> along with the offer. Every time I get one, I'm like, if you can invest, invest the initial money to get us over there, we'll gladly come. <laughs> but no, no, uh, dude, I want to be the best band possible. Um, you know, I've got a box of all of our releases that's packed away, and it's got three of each. And it's for my kids. You know, if something were to happen to me, mm-hmm. they've each got a copy. Because in the grand scheme of this, even if we ended up with the glass ceiling as low as it is on the music we play, being huge, it ends. And 10 years later, the next generation really either doesn't care or is completely unfamiliar. Yeah. So yeah. It's it's a hollow goal in the grand scheme of things. We're not going to be Nirvana. We're not going to be the Beatles. We're not going to be the Stones. How many bands ever have been? Very few. It just it's not a realistic goal. So yeah, creating something I'm proud of and something that I hope years from now when I'm gone my kids pick up and listen to and are like, "Holy crap." <laughs> you know? Well, and that's My that's dad it. did some really awesome stuff. Yeah. You've you've got that <laughs> you've got that permanent legacy now because you know you mm-hmm. you're, you're not going to leave behind your id badge from your day job or your laptop or something that's not your legacy no it's not um and god knows choosing music as you know such a focus of my life it's not going to be money i'll leave behind either <laughs> <So>. <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> yeah you and me both um yeah yeah, you'd be shocked that that the sweet podcasting money isn't paying for my home in the Hamptons. It, it shocked me. It did. It did. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's uh, no, no. Okay. let's have plug time. <laughs> where can we find you online? Um, where can we get the releases? And when do you when are you guys going to be playing out again, or are you just going to be writing for a while? Uh, you can find us online at killbabykill.com for our label page or facebook.com slash killbabykillal. Um, we hope to get some releases out here. It depends on how the writing goes and scheduling. Um, we have a split seven inch lined up with a band from Serbia that we're actually big fans of and they're big fans of ours. So, um, that's been in the works for over a year and hopefully it'll come about one day. <laughs> um, until we feel confident that we've really got a new product to deliver to the masses. We just don't see a point. I mean, we want to refresh. We want to deliver something new and, and hopefully that'll be by the end of summer, fall. We were originally going to do a West coast trek. Um, next fall but i think we're going to postpone that and 
worst case scenario in early 2016, we're probably going to go into the studio and do our follow up full length. Once again, pending how the writing goes. Right. right. Um, so we've got something new to go out and tour behind, um, take out West, you know, but you talk about, we're not in this to sell things. That's true. But you know what? After all these years, I have a band, not without a lot of hard work, not only on the band end, but the business end, but we've managed to sell records all over the world. And that really is a good feeling. <laughs> no, it's going to be a phenomenal feeling. Yeah. I mean, to think, yeah. to think that a complete stranger is paying money for something that you created, like that's kind of awesome. No, it really is. Uh, it really is. It's not. It's not the realistic goal when you start things, and if it is, you're either twenty or a moron. But. <laughs> But, you know, when it happens, and it happens relatively organically, there's a sense of pride you can take that, wow, I didn't create a product with the intention of attracting said audience. You know, there wasn't a formula that said, you know, ingredients A, B, C, and D is what these people want. I happen to be a part of something, of creating something that just was good enough, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that it registered on the radar outside of my hometown or home region. And, um, you know, that, that, that's something to take pride in. And if it ended tomorrow, which it's not going to, but if it did, we've all agreed that it surpassed any goals that we initially had. Which, which if know, I remember correctly, were to play <laughs> a couple of dates a year locally. <laughs> exactly. And following that, it, Following that, it was, I'd like to put an EP out. And six months later, we had an EP that sold phenomenally well. And, you know, it's, I say it eclipses all of our goals, but we don't set any goals until the last one was met. So, well, that's, that's great though. That, I think that's a very smart thing to do because if you, if you start looking too far ahead, not only, do do things get murky? I think on your current goal, but also it can be frustrating. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I I try, I prepare for things throughout the year, but mm-hmm. I focus on the next thing. Mm-hmm. That, that's no, all no you doubt. can really do. And how do you set a goal without a starting point? And the best way to have a starting point is to base it on what you've already achieved. Absolutely. You know. um, because if you don't achieve, you know, it's it's connect the dots. And you can't go from dot one to dot 20. I mean, you have to go through each one. Um, we just choose not to look at dot 20. And we won't look at it until we are at dot 19. You right. know what I mean? Right. Um, and, you know, we talked about the mentoring thing earlier. You know, um, if any young musicians are listening, take that advice to heart period it's the best advice anyone could ever give you and it's not very difficult you will find it more fulfilling to constantly be reaching a goal than to have a big list of goals that you don't know what pathway you need to take to get to any of them you know so and (sighs) and to you young punkers out there if some old fella ambles up to you after a show and offers you some tidbit of advice you can act, you can act like you're not listening to it, 
But whatever <laughs> the guy says, remember it and think about it, and there's a good it's chance it's going to help you out. It's true. I mean, I'm not going to gain a dime from somebody taking my advice, and right. chances are they're not either because there's no money in doing this anymore. <laughs> but but at least I might I might help ease the frustration for, for some of them, you know. But at the same time, man, I'm 39. I've been doing actually being in bands for 25 years at this point. And I'm still learning every single step of the way. So, you know, it's constant learning process. Well, man, I just want to, I want to thank you for coming on and for sharing what you've learned so far. (laughs) You feel like we've, uh, we've hit the big points. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, as I told you, man, I can ramble on for hours. I'm, I'm a talker. But no, I think we hit it. I just appreciate you inviting me and taking the time with me anytime. Oh, oh definitely, man. I mean, I, I knew you'd have some some good stories and, and some, like I said, I knew from personal experience you'd have some wisdom to impart. And <laughs> and we quite frankly, we don't have enough wisdom here on the show, so I thought it was about time we, uh, we, we, we remedy that. <laughs> also, I do want to note to people, that being that I'm 39, a lot of my advice may be null and void because I'm also completely out of touch. So, <laughs> <laughs> don't know what's going on with the kids today. You no, know, with their with their skinny jeans and their and Japanese their, hair and, and their, their iPads, and their iPads <laughs> and their jelly beans and their <laughs> and their in uh, their inline roller skates. <laughs> all right man thanks so much for being on i appreciate it and we'll definitely have you back on once uh once you once you get the uh the new stuff put together i'm i'm anxious to hear it and thank you so much and we look forward to it good luck to you and your family and your job okay thanks a lot man same to you i'll you later bud bye-bye later A fine conversation with an all-around great and talented dude. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys go and check out Kill Baby Kill at killbabykill.com and also on Facebook. Lots of good music to be heard and had. What else have we got today? I think that's about it. Of course, I want to mention you can find the Needless Things podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can find us at needlessthingssite.com where I, Phantom Troublemaker, and a host of writers present fresh content five days a week about toys, movies, music, pop culture, on and on and so forth. You can also find us at esopodcast.com as we are a proud part of the ESO network of podcast shows. We're up in the thousands now, I think. A thousand, fifty, let's say seventeen hundred. Seventeen hundred different podcast audio shows. I might be aiming a little high there. But check out the ESO podcast, the, the head show, the big one. Those guys talk about different stuff all the time. And of course, Earth Station Who, which is all about Doctor Who. I'm a co-host on that thing. We have a lot of fun there. We'll be doing a live show at TimeGate, which is coming up uh, Memorial Day weekend in May. 
So mark that in your calendar. We've got the master, the lady that played the master on the, the most recent season of Doctor Who, is going to be at Timegate. It's crazy. So do all that stuff. Make plans in your calendar. Bookmark the website. Add the podcast to your list of favorite things. Spread the word if you like it. Tell people about us. Please. Because you know what? I love you guys. 